prayed me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they prayed, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. And let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. Thank you for the opportunity to meet here once again. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would meet with us tonight, that you would move through the service. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would use the word of God uh, to fulfill the purpose uh, that you want as it goes forth tonight. We pray your blessing upon this service. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. I want to speak tonight on the subject, Faith, Promise, Missions, Giving. Okay? Now, let me just say, first of all, many times when we talk about giving, uh, we sort of tense up a little bit uh, because we're talking about money. Okay? Is that, is that right? Okay. So, before we get started, just sort of shake your arms and uh, move your head around and just sort of get all that tenseness out of your body. Okay, it's not going to be hard tonight. Uh, just really just want to give an explanation of what we're talking about, give you some examples from the Word of God. And I hope it's going to be a blessing tonight. It's a way that God wants to bless you in your life, okay? So there's nothing to be tense about, but it's something to rejoice in that God has laid out a plan in His Word for us to receive blessings from God. Now, faith promise. Uh, offering for missions is a method of giving with a biblical basis. The practice is based on spiritual concepts found in 2 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10. It has been said that the, go the gospel is like water stored deep in the ground. It's free, but it takes money to get it from where it is to where people need it. To get the gospel around the world involves prayer and many other things, but it also takes money. So what does the Bible say about giving? We see, first of all, my uh, first point tonight is about sending the missionary. And we see where the church at Antioch sends out the very first missionary team. This is the beginning of missions in the Word of God in the book of Acts. And the first two missionaries going out are Saul and Barnabas. They're called by God, uh, church lays hands on them, and then they are sent forth by the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, we have Barnabas, uh, certain preachers and teachers. You have Barnabas, and then you have Saul. And I'd like you to notice Barnabas, you know, usually when you find a list of uh, men in the Bible, uh, the first one in the list is the head one. Okay, so Barnabas would probably be the lead pastor. And then Saul, way at, the, way at the bottom, okay, he was probably the newbie, the new guy that came in and worked at the church. But as they were ministering to the Lord, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that, uh, whereunto I have called them. And so they fasted, they prayed, they laid hands on them. Uh, laying hands means that they uh, agree with the call of God. It means that they're giving the power of the church for them to go out and do the work for them to give baptisms, for them to give the Lord's Supper, and giving their approval that what they're doing is God's will. And then in verse 4 it says, So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. 
Now here's one of the most important parts. The church, uh, they're called. The church lays hands on them. The church sends them out of the church. But the most important thing is, is that the Holy Ghost is right there with them. As they go to the foreign mission field, the Holy Ghost is going with them, going before them uh, to bless their ministry. And then it says, when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So as soon as they got out there, they began the work of God. So the Holy Spirit empowered them and used them in a great way. Now as I was growing up, I was part of a Southern Baptist church. Now, I don't know, many here are familiar with Southern Baptist Church. We're sort of up in the north here. Uh, Southern Baptist Church are pretty much the churches that permeated the south. And the Southern Baptist Church, they had a, a way of sending out missionaries. It was called the Cooperative Program for Missions. And the way this worked was the Cooperative Program was the one that handled the missions program. And each church, each local church, would send a certain amount of money per year to the cooperative program. The cooperative program would find the missionaries, they would, they would uh, you know, uh, I can't find my word, they would question them, they would make sure they were called of God, and they would approve them, and then the cooperative program would send the missionaries out. And as a result of that, many uh, times the people in the local church did not know the missionaries that they were supporting. In fact, I can remember maybe just one or two times a missionary coming to the church and speaking. And as, of course, I was a young child at the time. He was up front speaking. I was way in the back. I uh, didn't have much of an opportunity to meet him. Uh, but this was the method that the Southern Baptists used in sending out missionaries. Now, I know many missionaries in Thailand that are with Southern Baptist Church. They're good people. They love the Lord. But as a church member in a local church, I really never had a chance to meet the, the missionary uh, that our church had a part in supporting. Now, when I was 18, I joined an independent Baptist church, and I was introduced to the Faith Promise Missions method of supporting missionaries. And I'll say a little bit more about that in the next point. But what made a great impression on my life was the actual sending out of a missionary. There was a missionary family, the Lauren McAllister family, that was going to New Zealand. And I remember going to church on a Sunday night, and this was the send-off service for the McAllister family. And Lauren McAllister, he preached the message that night. After he preached, the pastor, the deacons gathered around him. They laid hands on him. Uh, then we all, I mean the whole church, went by bus and car to the airport. And back in those days, this was before the TSA, uh, you could actually go to the gate and send somebody off. And we, I remember seeing them go to the gate, waving goodbye to us, getting on the plane. And we could actually watch the plane taxi down and then turn around and get on the runway and take off and go into New Zealand. And it made a great impression on my heart that this is actually sending a missionary. You know, I heard this man preach. I saw them lay hands on him. Uh, we went to the airport with him, got to shake his hand. And now he's going off to the country of New Zealand to serve the Lord. And praise the Lord, God used him in the country of New Zealand uh, probably about 30 years, preaching the gospel, starting churches there. And I remember thinking, wow, this feels so biblical. 
that in our own church we have someone that has called, that has gone out, raised support, we've laid hands on them, and we take them to the airport, and we send them off to the mission field. And just had a great feeling about that because it's something I had never seen, uh, but just made me realize, you know, this, I believe, is what missions is all about. It's the local church having a part, knowing the missionary, praying for them, uh, and sending them off to the mission field. And let me just say right here, the most important part of faith promise missions is not the money that is sent, but it's the prayer that's given for the missionaries. You know, when people go and look at the prayer letter, uh, they see what the needs are. Uh, I know men that whenever they feel a need to pray, instead of write something down and say, I'll pray about it later, they pray right then. So as you read the prayer letter and you see this family is having a financial need or someone is ill or someone needs, uh, is, they're witnessing to them about salvation, just bow your head right there at the prayer letter and pray and ask God to answer that prayer. Uh, I mean, prayers is the most important thing that a missionary needs. Uh, so, so not only the, the finances that go, but also the prayers that are sent out. And so this church in uh, Antioch, uh, when the men were called, they fasted, they prayed, they laid hands on them, they sent them away, and the Holy Ghost took them away and sent them to their mission field. And then when they got to their very first place, they preached the Word of God and began the task of winning souls. So this is sending the missionary. Second thing is supporting the missionary. Now let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So the missionaries are sent out by the local church. And I think it's a wonderful thing that we know the missionaries that we send out, the missionaries that we support. Uh, gives us a real connection there between them. Supporting the missionary, that just speaks of the churches of Macedonia, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now here Paul is speaking about the churches of Macedonia. Okay, thank you, brother. About their giving to missions. And he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you uh, to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. The thing I'd like to see about the churches in Macedonia is that they were not rich churches. The phrase here describes them as their deep poverty. Now, you know, I've, I've been poor, okay? Uh, I've needed, you know, extra funds. Uh, there might be some people in this world that say, you know, okay, I'm in poverty. But here are these churches, uh, Paul writes to them, and he says that they're in their deep poverty. And he's not talking about spiritually, he's talking about financially, okay? 
So if we could put this in vernacular uh, today, they didn't have two nickels to rub together. Okay? They were very poor. And yet it says they abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So they themselves were very poor. They were in deep poverty. Okay? For their family, for themselves. I mean, they were, they were as low as you could get financially. And yet Paul said in spite of that, they abounded unto the riches of their liberality. In other words, they had nothing themselves, but yet there was a way that they were able to abound in giving to missions. Okay? In verse 3, it says, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. So when you speak of their power, we've seen their power. Okay, they're in deep poverty. So this is what they have in their, in their selves physically, uh, deep poverty. Uh, that's the power they have. But he says, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Okay, now where does this beyond their power come from? This comes from God. They're in deep poverty, but yet God gave them the funds. God gave them the means to be a blessing to those on the mission field. Uh, they themselves did not have it. Uh, they had looked in one pocket, it was empty. They looked in the other pocket, it was empty. Uh, they checked their wife's purse, it was less than empty. And uh, so I, did I just lose my volume here? Okay, it's gone to orange. Okay, it's green again. All right, so we'll try from here. So they went to their pocket, it was empty, went to another pocket, it was empty, went to their wife's purse, it was less than empty. And, uh, but yet God gave them, it says, beyond their power. In other words, this is what God did for them, that they were willing of themselves to give to those who had a need on the mission field. In verse 4 it says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. Okay, now praying here does not speak of praying to God, but it speaks of praying to Paul. Okay, in other words, asking Paul with much entreaty, uh, Paul, please, please take this money from us that we would receive the gift. Okay, Paul already knew by, because of what God had told him by the Holy Spirit that they were in deep poverty. And many times Paul probably thought, well, I don't want to take your money. You're in such bad shape. Uh, but yet God had given them that money. And they said, Paul, please take this money because you need it in order to win souls on the mission field. And so they pleaded with Paul, please take this money so that you can continue your ministry. You can continue winning souls on the mission field. And God impressed upon Paul's heart to take this money and use it for this furtherance of the gospel. Okay? So these are people in their own selves. They lacked what they could give, but yet in trusting in God, God gave them the things that they needed, and they took those things and they gave them to the missionary, they gave them to the mission cause, so that other people could be saved and know the gospel message. In Philippi, let's look in chapter in Philippians, chapter 4, verse 10. Now, Philip, the city of Philippi is a church in Macedonia. So this is the same group of people uh, in, this, in the area of Macedonia. Ch 
chapter 4, verse 10, says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but lacked opportunity. Kind of the phrase lacked, lacked opportunity means that they lacked an opportunity to be a blessing to Paul. Uh, again, they part of the group in Macedonia, uh, didn't have two nickels to rub together. They wanted to give, but they lacked that opportunity to give. In verse 14, it says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. And so even though they lacked resources to do so, God gave them the ability to communicate with him in his affliction, speaking of his physical needs, so they were able to help the Apostle Paul in spreading the gospel. In verse 15 it says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So here's this church, poverty-stricken church, who see the need of spreading the gospel around the world. You know, sometimes we, if, uh, I mean, I've been in Bible college. Uh, I've been to the point where, you know, we were scraping together to have the money to pay our rent. Uh, actually, when we were in Bible college, we lived on the eighth floor of a 10-story building. Uh, it was a government-subsidized building. Uh, I was doing good to make the rent payments. And... Uh, you know, I, I'm thankful that they had elevators, you know. Ten floors would have been quite, I mean, eight floors would have been quite a lot, you know. Uh, but, you know, we've been to that point, trying to go to Bible college and just having the bare minimum to live with. And here these churches are that way in their own personal lives. They're lacking the things that they would like to have in their homes. But yet they see beyond that and they say, more important than me having this or having that in my home and my family is to see people one to Jesus Christ. Now you know what's going to matter in eternity is not whether or not we had a new car, or we had a stereo, or we had a TV, or we had all these nice things in earth, but it's the fact what's going to matter in eternity is the people that have been one to Jesus Christ. You know, our stereos, our cars, our homes, whatever, they're all going to be burned, burned up someday. But those that are in heaven, we're going to see them for eternity, and there will be rejoicing in eternity because they came to know Christ as Savior. So it says, even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Now let me just point out here, just real, you know, to put things in context here. They were sent out by what church? Paul and Barnabas were sent out by what church? Antioch, right, okay. But here we see the church in Macedonia which Macedonia is on the eastern part of Greece, that they were helping Paul and Barnabas as they were preaching the gospel, uh, sending the money while they were in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was in the eastern part, I'm sorry, the western part of Greece. And so they were helping a missionary that had come and preached the gospel. When he got there, uh, he lacked funds. And so they decided to, to give, to help, him continue to preach the gospel in the foreign country. Now we heard, I think already, maybe last night, about Paul being a tent maker. And uh, you know, when he really ran out of funds, he, he could, could build tents. 
you know, missionaries today in most countries are not able to hold a secular job. Now, I don't know about Togo, but in, uh, can you hold a secular job in Togo? No, okay. Uh, Thailand, if I were to hold a secular job, uh, I could be arrested and would probably not be in prison, but I would be put out of the country and never let back in. And so the situation of most missionaries is that they have to receive from foreign, foreign funds from churches that help support them. So Paul was in this situation where he needed the funds to continue his ministry. And praise God that this church that knew him, that had benefited from his ministry, were willing to give to him so that he could continue to bless uh, the people with the gospel message. In Philippians 4.19, we have a wonderful promise from God. It says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, folks, if we take this in context, and actually you get the true meaning of Scripture when you do take things in context, Paul is speaking about giving to missions. So when Paul says, My God shall supply all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, he's speaking to those that give to missions. So here we have the situation of a person says, I'm deep in poverty, I don't have the money, but I want to give to the Apostle Paul to help him be able to continue his ministry. And so they pray, God gives them a special blessing, they send that to the Apostle Paul, and then they look at their own family. Okay, we've done, a, we've done a wonderful thing to give to God, to give to the ministry. And here comes God's promise. God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So what God is saying to them, because you were willing to sacrifice and give to the missionary, to give to winning souls, God is going to supply your need. Now is that a great promise? You know, it's like having a, an Uncle Edgar. Is there anybody here named Edgar? <laughs> I sure hope not. Anyway, you have an Uncle Edgar who is, is a millionaire. And you're his favorite, favorite niece or nephew. And, uh, you know, just when you need, you know, some cash come, coming along, Uncle Edgar thinks, well, you know, I really like my nephew. I really like my niece. Uh, you know, they're, they're good. They're studying. They're working hard. I'm going to write him a check for $10,000, and I'm just going to help him out. Well, let me just say that Jesus, God in heaven, is much bigger, much better than Uncle Edgar. So when people give to God's work, when people give sacrificially, uh, God is going to supply those needs. So we should never think that, well, if I give to the missionary, I won't have enough food for my family. Because God's word said he's going to supply your need. And God always keeps his promise. When I was a teenager, we had moved to a new house. And my dad had a home office. And I remember going into my dad's office on Sunday morning. And uh, just about every Sunday morning, he was writing out a check to the church. And he would write out a check for $600 to give to the church. And every Sunday was the same amount, $600. And one Sunday I asked him, I said, Dad, why are you writing a check to uh, the church every Sunday, the same amount, for $600? And he said, well, uh, his job, he was an attorney. 
and he didn't work for a law firm, so basically his income depended on winning cases. So as he would win a case, then he would get paid from that case. And he said, because my, uh, my payments that come don't come on a regular basis, he says, I know that the church has regular expenses that they need to pay every month. Uh, the church needs to pay electricity bills. The church needs to pay gas bills. Uh, the church needs to pay the preacher. Uh, amen, Pastor Stephen? Pastor Miller? Uh, the church needs to pay the preacher. Uh, there are other expenses that the church has that they need to pay every week uh, in order to stay solvent. And he said, I could take, uh, I could wait till I win a case and then give a tithe of that sum of money to the church. But maybe during that time, the church has had bills come due. Maybe this has been taken away. Uh, maybe Pastor Miller and his, and his family have starved to death, you know. And so uh, he said, rather than do that, he says, I look at what my income was last year, and I look at the economic conditions of, of this coming year, and I, I set a figure that, Lord willing, I will be making this year. I divide that by 52, and then I give that once a week to the church. So the church can continue to meet their needs every week. And so I said, well, wow, that's great. I said, uh, you know, what happens if you make an estimate and you've gone short and you haven't given a full tithe? And he said, well, at that point, then I'll write an extra check and I'll give it to the church to make sure that that year I've given a tithe. And I said, that's good. And I said, well, what happens if you overestimated and you paid extra to the church? I said, are you able to ask the church for the money back? <laughs> and he laughed and said, no, no, it doesn't work that way. But, you know, from this I saw that, that giving on a weekly basis has a purpose. You know, I could give once a, once a year when I have all this money come in, but the church is going to suffer. But when we give once a week to the church, the church has money for lights, for electricity, for sound system, for uh, paying the pastor, for all the different needs, for the bus route, for all the different needs that the church has, and the church can continue on uh, in a normal way. Just be like if our family, if our boss said to us, you know, I'm going to start paying you once a year. Uh, wow, <laughs> let's find a new boss, amen? Uh, but the boss pays once a week, once a month, whatever it is, and we're able to continue on with our payments and live our life uh, in a good way. Now, you know, my dad had humble beginnings. His dad was a sharecropper, uh, so he would rent the land, part of the crop would go to his owner, the landowner, part to him. Uh, my grandfather built a large cement water trough for the cattle. And my dad went and showed that to me. Now, this, you know, this is way back in the 1930s, okay, when he did this. Uh, the house was gone, the barn was gone, but that large cement water trough was still there. So my, my granddad knew how to, how to build water troughs. <laughs> my grandmother was a school te teacher. Uh, every day she would hitch up a horse and buggy and she would go to school and teach the school. And it's one of those one-room schoolhouse deals, first through sixth grade together. And uh, just very humble beginnings. But my dad learned how to give to God, and God greatly blessed in his life. 
Uh, you know, I asked him many times jokingly, you know, how many cases does he win? And he says, well, I lose more than I win. Uh, but I had a sneaking suspicion it was the other way around. You know, I figured he won more than he lost, you know, because uh, God, God was blessing. But through that, you know, my dad never sat down and said, Philip, this is how you should give. Uh, Philip, this is what you should do as far as giving. But I had my dad as an example, watching what he did, seeing that God blessed him. And from that, I stepped out by faith and began tithing to the church, knowing that God had blessed my dad and believing that he was going to bless me also. Now, when I joined this new church, they had faith promise giving. Uh, it was a very simple step to go from tithing to faith promise giving, uh, to just once a week give something for the missionaries. And I found that when I did that, that God blessed me financially. Uh, God gave me back what I had given and also more than I had given because that's the way God works. Uh, you cannot outgive God. So why do we call it faith, promise, missions, giving? Because here's what happens. The members of the church, they're asked to pray about what would have them give to worldwide missions in the coming year. How much would God want them to give uh, by week uh, to missions around the world? And by faith, we write that number down. So on a commitment card, I believe Pastor Miller has explained, we don't write our name on that card. Uh, it's not anyone else's business. It's between us and God. And then by faith, we begin to give that money to God on a weekly basis. And from that, we will see God's blessings in our lives. Now, let me point out something here. Let's look in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before God. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Let me just say from this story that when God speaks to us, he can speak through a still, small voice. The method that I recommend people use is to have a quiet time with God, to have their Bible reading, have prayer, and then just ask God simply, how much do you want me to give per month or, or per week to the cause of missions? And then just sit there and wait for that still, small voice to speak to you. You know, just as God spoke to Elijah, not through an earthquake, not through a strong wind, not through tearing up the mountains, but just a still, small voice, uh, God can speak to us that way and let us know what we should give each week toward missions. And when God does that, then we'll have the assurance that not only is that God's will for our lives, but it's also something that God's going to supply that need for us. God will never ask us to give a certain amount and then not supply that need to us. Amen?
God is going to give us, if he gives us that amount, gives us that number, then he's going to give us that amount each week that we can give that goes to missions. Now I'd like to give us, finally, an example in the Old Testament about faith promise giving. I'm going to call this San, uh, Samuel and Hannah. Now, if you, I don't know if you noticed, but I've been using an alliterated outline. Uh, it's been sending the missionary. It's been supporting the missionary. And now it's Samuel and Hannah. Okay, so they all start with S. I thought about Hannah and Samuel, but that didn't go, that wasn't alliterated. So I decided to stay alliterated. So this is Samuel and Hannah. So let's look in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, now there was a certain man of Ramoth, uh, okay, we'll go past that, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephratite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And if you know the story here, Hannah had no children, Penina did have children, but Penina had a very bad spirit about her, and she would tease Hannah and make fun of Hannah. Uh, I mean, but in those days, to not have children was a, almost like a great curse from God. And so she would just continually harass her about this uh, until it just, uh, you know, bothered her greatly. And so Hannah prayed to God in verse 11. It says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a, ma a man child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now here we see an Old Testament example of faith promise giving. Hannah came to God and she prayed by faith asking for a son. She said, God, if you will give thine handmaid a son, then the promise, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And so she prayed, God, if you'll give me a son, I want a son, I desire a son, uh, I give my life to have a son. If you'll give me a son, then when he comes, I'll give him back to you. And shortly after that, God answered a prayer. Samuel was born, and after he had been weaned, he was taken to the temple, and Hannah fulfilled her promise, and she gave Han uh, Samuel into God's service, took him to Eli, and left him there at the temple. Now, this was, a, I think, a great step of faith on Hannah's part. Uh, I'm not a mom. But I can just imagine how mothers would feel doing something like that. And what a great sacrifice she made. What a great trust in God that she had. And did God bless her? Well, you know, she got really a double blessing from this. Uh, first blessing, the Bible teaches, that every year Hannah made and took a coat to Samuel and able to see him grow into a godly man and one used by God. So every year, uh, I imagine knitting, I don't know, uh, would knit a little coat for Samuel. Uh, how much is he going to grow this year? You know, he's going to be five this year, and where are the other five-year-old kids? I'm going to fit it to size. And every year, she'd take a little coat to Samuel. 
And uh, Samuel, I'm your mom, I love you, you know, but it's God's will for me to give, him, give you to uh, Eli so you could be raised uh, to serve God. And every year she could see him. And uh, what all she saw in his life, I'm not sure, but Samuel became a great prophet of Israel. He was honored of God to anoint two kings of Israel, King Saul and King David. And what a great uh, blessing she received in seeing how God used her son. But then there was a second blessing she received in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21. It says, And the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters, and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So not only after giving, praying by faith, and then keeping her promise to God, God blessed her not only with being able to see how Samuel grew, but God gave her three sons and two daughters. Now that's a household. <laughs> I mean, praise the Lord. You know, she gave her son to God. I know it tore it out, you know, just tore her heart to pieces to do that. But God gave her such a great blessing. Three, three sons and two daughters. Uh, they were able to live at home with mom and dad. See them grow in the Lord. And just what a great blessing that God gave to her life. Uh, once again, you can't outgive God. Amen? And so God gave her such a great and wonderful thing. In 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 7. It says, Tukon... I'm sorry, I'm reading a tie here. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. As he purposeth in his heart, that's the faith, so let him give, that's the promise. And then it says, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You know, we've seen examples tonight how God has blessed those who gave, and the truth is, God wants to bless every one of us here. God wants us to reap blessings from God. God wants us to have our needs fulfilled. God wants to supply every need that we have. And you know, as we give to missions, we're giving to a cause that is going to win souls in Jesus Christ. Uh, my mom, growing uh, as she became a young adult, she taught primary girls. Uh, she was also the church pianist, and later she was a church organist. And she came to, to see us on the mission field one time, and she told me, she, she said, you know, in her life, she had never won anyone to Christ, had never, you know, led someone to Christ. And I said, now, Mom, I want you to think this through. said, for years and years, you've taught primary girls. Now, I don't know if any of those primary girls prayed to receive Christ while they were in the primary department, but I know you gave them the gospel, you loved them, and maybe when they were junior girls, they came to know Christ. Maybe at home they came to know Christ. Uh, but you've got fruit for that. Uh, years and years you played the piano in church. For many years you played the organ in church. Uh, you helped with the special, special numbers. You helped with the choir specials. And every time someone came forward to receive Christ, uh, you at the piano had a part in that. You at the organ had a part in that. Uh, as you served God in that capacity, you had a part in those who come to know Christ. You know, there's going to come a time when we get to heaven, 
and there's been a missionary on the mission field and he's won people to Christ and wow what a wonderful day that's going to be when he gets there and he sees his converts and they're going to come up and hug his neck and say praise God that you won me to Christ thank you for coming to my country and telling me about Christ but beyond that God's going to say you know those folks over there they gave to missions they had a part in giving hey come on over here this person you know you never knew them, but they gave, and they have had a part in your salvation. Oh, aren't they going to give you a hug? Oh, I tell you, it's going to be a wonderful time when we get to heaven, not only to see the masses of people that are there, but to realize the people that we've had a part in winning to Jesus Christ. Oh, that's going to be such a great time. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to see the wonders of heaven. We're going to see relatives that have gone before us. We're going to see friends. And we're going to see people we've never met, but yet through giving to missions, we've had a part in winning them to Christ. Oh, what a great time that's going to be. I can't wait. So one day Jesus is coming back. We're going to meet him in heaven. And all that wonderful stuff is going to begin. So giving to God, giving to missions is a great opportunity. And we're going to receive great blessings from doing so.